morning. Would you open your Bibles to the book of Mark, chapter 1? I do not have the scripture to broadcast this morning, so you're going to need to do it on your Bible or on your phone. Really, the excuse of leaving your Bible at home is gone now, right, if you've got your phone with you thanks to those technical versions. And if you are concerned about the format in which you read your Bible, uh, then you should go get a stone tablet because that was the original way in which it was communicated. So, did you find Mark yet? Chapter one? I'm feeling strong that we're gonna end uh, chapter one today. I'm feeling real good about that. So we're, we ought to coast through two, through the spring at least. So, as you're reading through this. And by the way, this is a good exercise whenever you're reading through the Gospels. Does the Jesus that I love and serve and follow look like this Jesus? Because this is the only record we have of who Jesus is in the Gospels. And it's always, I feel like every time I read it, there's a little bit of, wow, he's wilder than I thought. He's less tame than I had thought. He's more courage and there's no box that he fits in. It's it's beautiful. So Mark chapter one, you're going to see that. And you're going to see a pattern here of Jesus with this new authority doing uh, a couple of things. One, preaching. He does it all the time. He casts out demons and he heals people. That's kind of it. That's his three main things. In verse 21, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and began to teach. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. And just then, a man in their uh, synagogue who was possessed by an impure spirit cried out. And I was working on a demon voice this week, but I just, I'm not nailing it. I don't feel like I can get the character. So just imagine Smeagol, you know. <laughs> it wants to cast us out. Um... <laughs> See, it's not, it, it's, <laughs> precious. Um, possessed by an impure spirit, cried out, what do you want with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. If there is anything that should be on any one of our bucket lists is that the demons know who we are. You understand they're not, right, omniscient. Satan is not omnipresent. So for us to get on a whiteboard in a board meeting in hell is a high level of goal for us, that they know who we are. And then Jesus says, this is the NIV, be quiet, but I think King James, he says, shut up. Come out of him. And the impure spirit shook the man violently and came out of him with a shriek. Look, shriek. The people were all so amazed that they asked each other, what is this? A new teaching and with authority. He even gives orders to impure spirits and they obey him. And news about him spread quickly over the whole region of Galilee. He was trending on Twitter. <laughs> Verse 29, as soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever and they immediately told Jesus about her. And so Jesus went to her, took her hand, helped her up, the fever left her, and she began to wait on them. 
That evening after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all the sick and the demon possessed. The whole town gathered at the door and Jesus healed many who had various diseases and he also drove out many demons, but listen, he wouldn't let them speak because they knew who he was. In verse 35, very early in the morning, so he had a late night and an early morning. Jesus got up, left the house, and went to a solitary place where he prayed. And Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everybody is looking for you. Like, you know, you've left us. And Jesus replied, let's go somewhere else. Why would he do that? We're going to tell you in just a minute. Let's go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and driving out demons. And then verse 40, a man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you're willing, that you can make me clean. And Jesus was indignant, and I love this. He reached out his hand and he touched him. This man had leprosy, an incurable disease that was very contagious by touch, and Jesus did something that no one had done for years. He touched him. He didn't have to touch him. He could have just spoke, but he touched him. The man, he said, I am willing. He said, be clean, and immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you do, do not tell anyone, but go and show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. But instead, he did what Darren would have done. He told everyone, spreading the news. And as a result, Jesus no longer could enter a town openly, but stayed outside in the lonely places. If you've had any brush with fame at all, you know the more famous you are, the more lonely it is. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. That's God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your promises to us. And Lord, we pray that your word today would be a lamp and a light for us and ask that your spirit would be alive inside of us today, that your word would speak to us in the busyness of our culture and the rushed nature of our lives. Today we set that aside in Sabbath with you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In uh, 1990, I was about as skinny as Joel it's been a while, so Joel, you got to watch out for the muffin, for the muffins and stuff. But I, I, uh, I went to spend uh, a month with my friend Elson Bennett on the Navajo Reservation in Kaibato, Arizona. Has anybody been there before? No, no. Wow, no Kaibato people. That's because it's literally the middle of nowhere. Like the Navajo Reservation, Elson, uh, his daddy was a pastor, full-blooded Navajo. He was born and raised there. And I thought, well, I got nothing else to do. I'm 19, so let's go to Arizona, you know? And I was going to sing and do worship, and it was just going to be awesome. And so we get into the little car, and we drive. And it's very far from Tulsa, where I was living at that time. And we make it to Albuquerque, New Mexico. 
Friends of Albuquerque? Oh, uh, Breaking Bad? No, um, that's the, really the only reason any of you even know what it is. But so I'm in Albuquerque, and I'm staying the night with uh, with his sister and brother-in-law. This is a 100% true story. Uh, so Elson and his wife are sleeping on like an air mattress on the floor, facing this way, and I'm sleeping on the couch facing this way because it was like a one-bedroom house. Uh, and we're just going to sleep and get some rest, and then drive the rest of the way. So in the middle of the night, I'm sound asleep. Elson, who is a giant guy, like he's huge, like six foot and some change. He's a big, broad-shouldered guy. Wakes up screaming at the top of his lungs that something was attacking him. Now I'm going to ask you uh, if this has ever happened to you before, or if you've ever had demonic oppression, whatever. If you've ever had that happen, you've had some demonic oppression. If you're traveling with your friend, the etiquette would say, "Give your friend a heads up." <laughs> you, it's. I mean, you didn't know that, but that's important to know that. So. Because I'm thinking, what on earth is happening? And you know, later he's like, yeah, that's been happening a lot lately. I'm like, well, bro, how about a heads up for your buddy, Darren? So anyway, this, and I swear, this is, I hesitated to tell you this because you're going to then ask, do I believe in Bigfoot and aliens? But I don't know about those, but I know that what I saw that night was, it's dark, I wake up, and there's a, literally a dark something floating over the top of him. And... I know you also find a different church next week, but I just got to tell you, it, it happened. Like, I swear, I saw it. And we, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm like first year of Bible school. They don't cover that, I guess, until second or third year. So I didn't even know. We're just, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And that night, we, his sister came out and she was older and older in the Lord. And, you know, she began to tell us of that, you know, on the Navajo reservation that there's a lot of spiritual darkness there and that they believe in things that maybe you or I wouldn't necessarily believe in and that that was something that for the first time in my life, I thought, oh, this stuff, there's something darker and more real in the world than what I had previously been aware of. Now, we live in America, and we are smart, and we are educated, and we are Western, and there's no way that we would believe in such things as that, right? I don't know if you remember, I, I uh, told you about the C.S. Lewis books, The Screwtape Letters. How many of you have read that book? Okay, a few of you. I do want to clarify, someone last service, this wasn't an actual demon writing an actual letter to an actual person. Just to clarify, this is, this is all fictional, but... But this book back in the 1940s was written and it's just basically a collection of what, uh, fictional letters of an uncle uh, screw tape to his nephew Wormwood teaching him a demon, a senior demon teaching his junior demon nephew how to best tempt and to uh, persecute his client. And this, uh, let me make sure I find this right. I want to read you just a couple of quotes from this. Especially as soon as I find it on here. It has somehow disappeared from there, so I'm going to read it from there. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. This is Uncle Wormwood, okay? He's saying, hey, Uncle Screwtape, a little Wormwood. Our policy at the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, that's not always been so. We really faced a cruel dilemma here. When the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all pleasing results of direct terrorism, and we make no magicians. If you remember, last week I shared that in Haiti... When we first started going 15 years ago, the young men and women there were terrified to walk by a voodoo temple because they were afraid that the demons would jump on them. 
right? That we were there making magicians out of them. They believed in it so much, okay? And we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics. In our culture, the process has been making us into materialists and skeptics because we don't believe in such things as that. The fact that devils are predominantly comic figures in the modern imagination will help you. If any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights. Persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, it's an old textbook method of causing and confusing them, he therefore cannot believe in you. And the rest of that chapter goes on to talk about techniques. And by the way, written in 1940s, and it's talking about using politics uh, and right and left conservative and, and how to use that as a dividing tool. It's fascinating. 19... 2019, how relevant, relative uh, that is today. That's just so relevant to us. So that said, I'll find my Bible. Jesus had this authority, okay? The authority was to get rid of that. The authority was to break through. Daniel 7 spoke of this authority that was coming, of this kingdom that was coming, and this authority that would come with this new king that would be different and would ultimately, every other king would bow to this authority. Jesus coming on teaching with authority was the beginning of that authority breaking into our times. That moment when he said that he taught with authority, Jesus would later say, that same authority, I'm going to give to you. Luke 10, verse 19. This authority, what was it? It was the authority. That's why these demons were freaking out, because they were like, we know who you are, and this authority is greater than our authority. Have you come to destroy us? The authority, the word is exu. That's the word that's used there in the Greek. You might recognize that as a form of exorcism, where we'd get our modern word from. But it is so much deeper and so much more profound than that, the exousia of what Jesus was doing. Now, where did he get the authority from? Two places. His relationship with the Father, his proximity to the Father. Relationship with the Father, proximity to the Father to the Father. He was the Son of God. When my son comes home from school, he does not knock on the door. It's not his house, but it's his house because he's my son. And by the way, when I say son, our Western imaginations, we would think, well, that's just misogynistic. But understand that when Paul in the New Testament said there's no Jew, no Gentile, right? There's no male, no female, but then he would go on to say, sons of God. He used that language very specifically. In the culture that he was writing to, it was the son, sons who inherited everything. The daughters didn't get anything. So when he says that there's no male, no female, no Jew, no Gentile, but yet you're a son of God, there's a statement he's making. And for you to take the pronoun out of it washes it of its pregnancy, which is that you have the full inheritance as a son of God, whether you're a daughter or a son. He is giving that authority. So he gets his authority because he's the son of God. In the same way that you get authority, like if, uh, I don't know how many of you speed when you're driving to church, nobody needs to admit that. But my wife does, and she... <laughs> my kids are always like when I'm driving, you know mom speeds all the time, right? Like... Um, but if you see my wife buzzing down the interstate, 
and you decide I'm gonna, it's time for her to stop speeding. I'm going to pull her over and tell her she can't do that anymore. Would she or should she listen to you? And why not? Because you don't have the authority to tell her that, right? Someone with the authority, now in fairness, I'm the one that's got all the speeding tickets in our family, so in fairness, but I just think it's because she can cry on demand, so that's why, this, you know what I'm saying? She, <laughs> that's a spiritual gift of getting out of a ticket if I've ever seen one. Given that authority, Jesus steps into the Genesis 3 world that had been turned over to Satan from Adam and Eve of darkness, and Daniel 7 begins. The authority of God, the authority, the exousia begins to break through. So when he is healing somebody who is sick, exousia is breaking through. When he is preaching the gospel, telling them that your sins, he's going to say in the next chapter, there's a paralyzed guy, and the paralyzed guy thinks that that's what's wrong with him. Jesus heals him, but says what's really wrong with you is you need your sins forgiven so that you can be connected back to the Father. The exousia is breaking in. It came from his identity as a son. He had the authority and the demons of all the people that didn't know it, the people that knew it the most were the ones that were there at the beginning. Jesus in Luke 10 said, I saw Satan fall as lightning from heaven. They were there at the beginning. They knew who he was. He was the son and he got it because of his proximity to the father. That night when he goes to bed, he gets up early. And what does he do? People still need to get healed. People still need miracles and demons cast out. And what does he do? He sneaks away to pray. Over and over again in scripture, Jesus went away to a solitary place and he prayed. He spent time with the Father. For you and for I, okay, if we are going to be a disciple of Christ, it says in Luke 7 that a disciple, when he's fully formed, will not be greater than his master, but will be like his master. And what did Jesus say that he did? Only what the Father said to do. Only what the Father said to say. A disciple is going to be like Jesus. as just somebody waking up every morning and saying, Jesus, what would the Father have me to say and to do today? That's what a disciple does. And so when Jesus would wake up that morning and they said, hey, these people all have all these needs, he said, but we're going someplace else. I believe it's because that's what the Father told him to do. We're in a world that is surrounded by need and you will die and suffocate under the weight of it if you are led by need. We, every time we go overseas, I mean, David can attest to this. It's like an overwhelming, I don't even, we don't know where to start half the time. And you know where we start? Is what does the Father tell us to do and to say on that day? If you're led by that, you'll never suffocate under the weight of burnout because you're only allowing your fire to be lit by the Father himself. The proximity to him is where his authority came from. And think about it in another way. In just a few verses, the disciples are gonna come back and they're gonna say, hey, we tried to cast him out, but he didn't go away. Why wasn't it? And he would say to them, this kind comes out not by any other way that by prayer and fasting. I used to think that meant like a video game like you earn like all the strength and your little power thing comes up. I don't know, it was Donkey Kong or what? I don't even know what it is these days. But, and once you get to the amount of strength, then you can conquer that demon. But as I've read and let the Bible interpret the Bible, I don't think that's what it was at all. I just think that that was, the closer you are to the Father, the proximity of it, 
the more often you are. If you are someone who follows a king, if you're on the staff of the king or the president, the closer you are to them, the more authority you have from them because you know how they think, you know what they feel because you spend all your time with them. So when the seven sons of Sceva in Acts chapter nine come and they try to cast out demons and they say, hey, Paul, I know, but look, I don't know who you are, so I'm gonna strip you butt naked and send you out. They didn't even know who he was, who they were. But when you are close to the Father, they know exactly who you are. Who are you? I know who you are. Have you come to destroy me? They got their authority. Jesus got his authority from his identity, from the Father, from his proximity to the Father. And I believe with all my heart that in Luke chapter 10, verse 19, he says, and now I give you the same authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and over all the powers, the exousia of the enemy. And that happens because you're a son, but you can carry it out because of your proximity. That's where the authority comes from. Here's where it does not come from. We have a celebrity culture. So we think the more famous somebody is, the more they ought to know, and we give them a microphone to say just about anything. And if you don't believe me, turn on any one of the news channels and you'll see talking heads that may or may not have any idea what they're talking about, but because they're famous, we let them. The fame of that. Instagram, we want to hear what the influencers, that's a fascinating new term, isn't it? The influencers have to say, based upon how many followers they have. When Jesus, listen very carefully, when Jesus had the chance, when he began to get famous, he was trending on Twitter, what did he do? He went to the lonely places. He didn't pursue it. And why did he not pursue that? The power that comes from fame, the power that comes from celebrity is fickle, and will change just like that. Jesus, later on, they would be waving palm branches. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And a week later, the same crew was saying, crucify him. There was an article this past week in the New York Times. David Brooks, who is not exactly known as a bastion of conservative thinking. A few months ago or a while back, I heard this story on Invisibilia, which is a podcast, and then I've heard a couple other through this American life, and there was this thing that I kept, like, it just made me very uncomfortable, this idea that someone could be called out on Twitter for something maybe they've done 35 years ago, and no matter what their life looked like since then, they could be shamed, dehumanized, and cast out. Now, in the old days, that was called Pharisees and scribes. In the old days, the King James-only religious people, we had a corner on that market. But that has now moved into mainstream thinking. And this episode of Invisibilia was referring to this girl who had been a part of a band and she had called somebody out and shamed him and he lost everything, lost his house and they never spoke again. And just a few weeks later, maybe a year later, I don't know, she then is called out for something she did in high school and the same thing happened to her. And this, the entire episode was like, what, what have we done here? How do we live? And so David Brooks in this article called The Callout Culture was saying that the danger of this culture is that it's driven by fame, that there are no rules, and that you could literally, a word that's okay to say today is not okay to say in two years. You could be called out for that, cast away. And he was speaking of the danger of that, that a culture, and I wish I could remember the exact wording, that doesn't have mercy and kindness in it is one step away from the Rwandan genocide. And we have lived in that culture here and it's dangerous, and if your fame comes from that, if your power, your authority, your exousia comes from that, understand that 
The culture giveth and the culture taketh away. The culture cheered. Cheered. Just a couple, just a few weeks ago when a law was passed that now a baby up until nine months old could be pulled from his mother's womb and they cheered. The popularity said that's awesome. If you take your cues from that, you'll be forever trying to figure out. Remember, Hitler was voted in by popularity by a long shot. Jesus did not take his power, his exousia from the culture. He took it from God, the God of the universe. What did he do with his power? He, he didn't take it from his popularity. In fact, if nothing else, what he said actually went so far against the culture that it got him killed. In fact, in just a few verses, and I find this utterly fascinating, it says that the Herodians and the Pharisees together said, hey, this guy's screwing up. We, we got to get him out of here. We got to kill him. They started to plot to kill him. The Herodians, Herod, they were the progressives from Rome who were liberal with their sex and their theology and their identity and all that. With the, the conservative Pharisees who were religious, they find, this guy was so dangerous that they came together to find a way to kill him. If your Jesus fits in either one of the categories that we have in our culture, he's not this Jesus. The Jesus that we follow in here would threaten any political structure. So what do we do with this exousia? Luke 10, verse 19, I'm giving you that power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, the principalities and the powers. What do we do with that? If you want to come and see a demon come out of somebody that manifests, I, I invite you right now, come to Uganda with this summer, and I promise you at some point something weird's going to happen and Jesus is going to show up. I don't know what else to say, it just happens. But you know what I love over there is a bunch of young men and women that when something pops up and someone shrieks, they do not back down. They run to the battle, not away from it because they know about their exousia. What do we do with our exousia in a culture that is hiding behind, that is creating skeptics? And What do we do with that? When we go to Africa and we drill a well, the little child in that little village has been told not explicit, but implicit, that you're so without value that you don't even deserve clean water, right? So we drill a well there, we give her clean water and the kingdom of this world says she's not worth it, but her government isn't coming for her, not, but Jesus has come, so we are driving out the demons in there. The school that you guys have in Kenya is driving out the demonic activity because it's saying they are infinitely valuable. Exousia with authority. In our culture, I'm going to give us a couple of opportunities to exercise that exousia. It's one thing to say that they shouldn't light up the, the uh, World Trade Center with a pink light and celebrate babies being taken from their mother's womb. We shouldn't celebrate a culture that says, my body, my choice, when Jesus says, it's my body broken for you. But we also shouldn't cast those women away. Right now, if by any statistic, maybe even in this room, but for sure in this county, are multiple young women who have found out they're pregnant and they don't know what to do. And they're being told by the culture, just get rid of it. It's legal. We've got a great ministry in this town, the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Middle Tennessee. I asked you guys last week, 120 bottles have already left. Here's a bottle that just came back today. By the way, there's a hundo in here. I did, that's, a, that's not my bottle. I'd love to take credit for that. But yeah, if, this is, if you got a $100 bill between your couch cushions, you might need to. But um, 
what, what we're asking you to do is just take this bottle with you and bring it back in the coming weeks by uh, March 1st, filled with just the coins that you found between your couch cushions and your seats and your cars or whatever. We did this last year. We raised over $2,300. I'm believing God that we'll raise over $5,000. And what happens with that is the Crisis Pregnancy Center of Middle Tennessee can say to a young woman that's gonna choose life, we're here for you. We're gonna pay for the diapers. We're gonna pay for, we're gonna help you. We're gonna walk through you. It is exousia breaking through our culture. We have an opportunity as a church family as well for exousia. Uh, many of you know, maybe you, some of you don't know this, but during the week we have Monday through Thursday homeschool cooperative tutorials that meet in this building here. Now, some of you might not know what that is, but a homeschool cooperative is parents who are homeschooling their children and say, hey, you know what, I really suck at science, but I'm good at history. So I'm going to help you guys with history, and this parent will help you with math, and we'll cooperate together to educate our children. It's a beautiful thing, especially in a world where, again, only do what the father tells you to do or say, okay? The father for us has said our children are in public school. For some of you, you teach in a public school. We actually have one family at one of the homeschool tutorials who the children go to the homeschool, but the dad works at a public school, okay? That's what the spirit is telling them to do. But what I love about the homeschool idea is that if you feel like that I'm supposed to be discipling my children, bringing them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, and I don't want someone attacking their faith every day, that I can't afford the $10,000 for a Christian school, but I've got this homeschool opportunity. This gives them the opportunity to do that. Every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, there are children running up and down these halls that that's what's happening. Exousia is breaking in in their lives. This past week, our church received a letter from Williamson County uh, telling us to cease and desist those activities beginning by March 4th. Now, this is an opportunity for us to recognize who the enemy actually is, which is not Williamson County. These are just people that are doing their job, trying to do their best. On the other hand, it's our opportunity to say, not on my watch. So how do we do that? There's a couple of issues that are in front of us as a church. One is, when we've talked about what are we going to do about this, if we built something for us, it's really just about having more elbow room, and that's, we, could, we can put up with this, we're fine. But that's not what we just found out. What we just found out is that our building not only isn't big enough for future ministry, but it's not big enough for current ministry. The septic, you may not know this or not, but, and this is really gross, but it's 11 and I don't care. So, so, oh. We're on septic here, okay? This might be the middle of everywhere right now, but in 1987, when this thing was built, it was the middle of nowhere. And so right out front under those trucks, there's a septic tank that is being, <laughs> you guys are putting a lot of weight on the septic, is all I'm saying. Like every six months, we got a guy out there with a truck and a giant straw going, my, I can't believe you guys, this is full again. And your executive pastor, Mo Tiemann, has the privilege, or the honor, of standing beside the septic guy going, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and this, I swear, I'm not making this up. Last time, this is just a couple weeks ago, they sucked a skunk up out of that thing. Somehow, a skunk managed to find his way into the septic tank. Can you imagine 
the last few seconds of that guy's life. I got your Pepe Le Pew. <laughs> and apparently, this is a true story. Some of you were here that day with you at the homeschool, but apparently when they squeezed him through the straw, it, it stunk up the whole building like the skunk fumes were coming through the sink. But, um, hey, I'm just giving you the news. You, you thought the demon story was bad. <laughs> We have an opportunity here for an exousia moment, okay? And by the way, there are some things that we are looking at, and I just want to say this as clear as I can, that uh, the, the county does not know how to categorize a homeschool situation, okay? Um, we believe it's just an activity of a church, discipling their own, coming together, congregating, and teaching your own children. That's what we believe it is. Um, at this point, the county doesn't, but we have engaged with some attorneys, um, who, who agree with us and think that if that goes down that road, we could, we could have that conversation. But that's a whole issue over here. The issue right in front of us, which is true, is that our septic was never imagined for this. I mean, these people, God bless them, in 1987 had never imagined three services on a Sunday, let alone kids Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. So for us, our exousia moment is, do we just, because look, these kids are about to be homeless in about a month if we can't figure this out. Now, I have committed to curling up in a fetal position and tying myself to the steps of the Williamson County government to just, just let us go through the end of the year. Yeah, Brian will be there. Just to get us through the end of the school year. That's the, the first thing in front of us. So that's our prayers for that. Uh, our prayer is that some other pastors in this area will catch the vision for what happens when parents disciple their own children. Uh, so we're praying that God will help them to find a place and then we're praying that, hey, starting in September without God intervening or something happening, the halls of this church will be quiet Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. And I can't think of a greater shame than that. So our opportunity for exousia is to come together as a church and say, God, what would you have us do? Well, should we snivel and say, well, we're just whatever. Because it's, it's not about some ministry down the road at some point. This is right now. What do we do? October, April, it's like a gas leak in here or something. I can't get April. And April 6th, 7th, 8th, 9th, 10th, 11th. We're going to send notice out to you guys so you know. We're going to get together as a church family, and I'm going to give you seven nights, so that way you, there's no excuse for nobody because you're busy. There's at least one night you can do this. We're going to provide dinner, and we're going to provide child care, and we're going to tell you, because hopefully by then we'll have a full plan. This is what we can do. This is what could happen if we come together and give our exousia. I'm not going to ask you to bring your checkbooks that night, nor your credit cards. I'm only going to ask you to bring your heart and your, your ears and listening to the Holy Spirit. We're going to know what the vision and the mission is, and then it'll be up to us to decide how long it takes to make it happen. But I know this. God gave us this piece of property. If you haven't been around, you don't know, but this is literally miraculous. We could sell it today for millions and just drive down the road to Lewisburg and start over again and it'd be fine and awesome. But I don't think that's why God gave us this property to sell it. I think he gave it to us because we have an opportunity for Exousia to break through at 1642 Lewisburg Pike into Williamson County and to the rest of the world. 
And I would love nothing more that within two years or less to be able to say to these homeschool tutorials, unless they found a permanent home, come back, we got it figured out, we want you here. We don't want our halls darkened. We want them alive every day. The sound of your children in the service, that's not an annoyance, that's the sound of life. The sound of kids being discipled up and down these hallways Monday through Thursday, that's not an annoyance, it's the sound of life. We have a big decision in front of us. We have a lot of prayer to do and I would just ask you between now and then to pray. The principalities and the powers, the governments of this county have said these are things we need to do. And we're gonna do like Paul. We're gonna say, hey, yeah, but I need to talk to the magistrate because I'm a Roman citizen so I wanna make sure. So we're, gonna, we're not just gonna roll over but we're also not gonna be prideful and arrogant. We're going to be humble and we're going to exercise Jesus' authority in this. Does that make sense? Okay. Stand to your feet. I want to get you out of here. I want you to prayerfully consider taking a baby bottle with you. Prayerfully consider. Oh, I forgot to even tell you this. Chris and Lisa Roman are doing their, at their home. It's just two miles down the road in preparation for their journey training. So if you're a part of that, make sure you get down to their house. Um, and if you don't have their address, ask Mo, text him. <laughs> Guys, we don't have to buckle or bend in the same way that these Haitian kids don't have to be afraid of voodoo culture. You do not have to be afraid of Western culture. We can walk they might hate us, they probably will. They killed Jesus, you understand that. We don't get our exousia from the culture, from the government, we get it from God, the God of the universe, breaking through. Heavenly Father, we thank you for trusting us to share in the inheritance of Jesus, your son. Lord, would you forgive us for being afraid? Would you forgive us for cowering? And would you bolster us with the knowledge and the wisdom of the exousia, the authority that began with you and carries on to us? Lord, we do ask for wisdom for what's in front of us as a church family. I pray that you would bless the people at the county government level bless them, be with them, that we might live peaceable lives. We are right in the middle of an opportunity where we get to pray for them and bless them. These are good people. They're doing their jobs. We bless them. And Lord, for even us in our own lives, in our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs, would you make clear to us how that exousia can live out in our daily lives? Lord, we have kids that are, we're just trying to figure out. We've got relationships we're trying to figure out. Could we start with you every morning saying, I'm here reporting for duty. Father, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to say today? As sons of you, we enjoy the identity and our proximity to you. We carry it out. It's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Be blessed. Your name, your name.